Good evening, and welcome to Paperback Brigade, a book club podcast. Come join us by the campfire. We're your camp hosts, Zach, Courtney, and Miranda. Hey, friends. Hey, y'all. This month at the campfire, we are reading the Monk and Robot series by Becky Chambers. She's a sci-fi author of the hope punk subgenre. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about the first book in the duology called A Psalm for the Wild Built. The story takes place on a lush moon named Panga, where a mysterious occurrence called the Awakening caused robots to gain sentience and leave the factories. And in this version of the future, the land is divided in half, where part of it is for the robots to live in the wilderness because they asked to be away from human-made design, and the other part is reserved for humans. And so centuries later, there is a tea monk named Sibling Dex who decides to take a break and journey alone to a hermitage in the mountains of the wilderness. And on the way, Dex meets a robot named Mosscap who wants to know how things have fared for the humans since the robot's departure. And that's kind of, uh, I don't know, 15% into the way into the <laughs> book. Uh, <laughs> so the rest of this episode, we're going to talk about the first book, but full disclosure, we have read both books. They are amazing. We might accidentally spoil the second book in this episode, so if you're concerned about that, might want to hit pause now and come back and join us once you've read both books. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, to get us started off, I mean, I think we all loved this book. It was really comforting um, and calming. What do, What were your overall impressions going in? I want to live in a tree fort that just has generators... And digital currency that we trade for helping people that's not really required for anything. I want to go to there. I, I want it now, please. Yes. I'm having a bad day. I need a cup of tea. Yeah. I really think the, that the, the covers like set the stage for the vibes. Like they're just gorgeous mm-hmm. cover art that's like this mix of like analog and like historical kind of, but there's like a robot and it feels I don't know. It just feels like you're stepping into something cozy. Mm-hmm. I love the tactility of the woodblock type mm-hmm. that they're for the title. Um, the art is by, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Feifei Ruan, and the design is by Christine Foltzer. I'd love to see more of it. Their depiction of Mosscap almost looks mm-hmm. wild, like, you know, made out of trees and stuff. He, they're not, but it looks like it, and it's truly wonderful. But this, these two books, Becky Chambers, I haven't read any of her other stuff, but I imagine she outdid herself. Like, it's really wonderful. There's this sense of magic in a place where there's not magic. Even for someone who, like, is a monk and has devoted themselves to a religious following, the idea of gods and religion in this book is more of a practical day-to-day way to view what's going on around them like even science and just nature and not in an animalistic way either but like how can we better interact with nature and be better participants in this world that we find ourselves in now that we fucked it up so bad that robots left yes and we're recovering it yes like you know, to drop a thing from the second book, the description of what the uh, Riverlands look like, mm-hmm. how all their houses are just built, <clears throat> how all their houses are just built from stuff they've reclaimed. 
from the rivers and lakes that they're mm-hmm. used to and then back in the woodlands <clears throat> where everything is laid out to a limit how many paths they have so they're mm-hmm. not stepping on the tiny ecosystems and kingdoms that are set up under the leaves like it's just it's magical without the the woo woo to it which is really cool to see yeah yeah I agree. It was cool um, to me, the childlike wonder, but also the incredible wisdom that Moscap has. Mm -hmm. That he was, or it was, so Moscap uses the pronoun it, um, (laughs) and we might mess up on that, but that's another point for later that I really enjoyed. But that Moscap points out the things that are ordinary that you might just pass on your way in your busy life and shows you how to slow down because Moscap has everything (laughs) provided for it already. Like it has solar panels on its back. It doesn't Mm -hmm. really need food and it doesn't have a house. Um, So one of it's like, I don't know if they call each other brother and sister. I don't remember. Or, but you know, another robot can stare at a stalactite and watch it form over 10,000 years. So chill. Yeah. I I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I love the macro. I feel like the the dedication of this book really like I don't know if y'all read the dedications at the beginning of both of them, but they yeah. perfectly kind of set you on the right path as you're going into the book. Mm. So the the dedication of a song for the wild built. Um sorry, I'm like, is that the right one? Because all I have written down it says wild built. <laughs> so um the dedication in a psalm for the wild built is for anybody who could use a break. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I enjoyed that too. Have either, have either of you seen Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix? Yeah. It's like an anthology kind of series, like different stories about Love, Death, and Robots. And there's a few like kind of recurring mini episodes of these this like group of robots that are just kind of wandering through sort of post-apocalyptic like yeah the three of them yeah and it's just it reminded me a little bit of that like everything kind of overgrown and like post-industrial breakdown and the the like wittiness and everything of like the robots um it just kind of reminded me a little bit of that i love yeah like how shocked dex was when he met moss when they met Moscap. let me start over like how surprised dex was when they met Moscap. and like they actually had jokes and insight not to get into their view of consciousness and everything but yeah it they were expecting factory workers that had no sense of self it was mm-hmm. sorry i have a note i was trying to remember what it said it just says hot dad <laughs> <laughs> what a in a song for the wild belt i just love that scene yeah. where i think it's the first or second time dex has successfully set up a tea with oh, the first one oh my god the first one was so bad yeah yeah when the lady brought it to them and they were just like my cat died, and so I think everything that was connecting me and my husband is gone. And Dex, who has just left their regular monk training, is there and just totally out of their depth. 
just and it's hilarious it. and sad and just cringe yeah. to get through and but like then very this... much the human condition like the yes. the person that they are trying to help ends up helping them and is, <laughs> is so yeah. kind to them and it's just like it's fine but i know yeah, i've been there first time. yeah the, i've read it in a book i can do this yeah and then <laughs> not even having tea with them that the yeah. person wasn't allergic to but then they get to the woodlands and the first person that shows up is this hot dad carrying two twins and this like they had a hard time getting through it. I think their name was uh, Mr. Cody. Okay. Which is one of only a handful of people who are gendered in the book. And I thought that was interesting mm-hmm. and appreciated it. Not that it was, um, Oh, I hate to do this. It's the only thing I can relate it to is like growing up with the Bible and like mm-hmm. everything being gendered masculine, it was nice to have this almost in juxtaposition of gender not being necessary in storytelling, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. You know, this didn't even occur to me. I don't know if, now that we're talking about it, I don't know if the gods are gendered in this book either. I don't think so. Because it... I was just looking at the... Um, so the god that Dex serves is Alele? Alele? I can't, I don't know how to say it. But the god of yeah. small comforts. It's also known as the summer bear, child god. And I ha- that's what I have written. And every time that they talk about Alale, that's how I'm going to say it, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They, they use the name or they say one of the descriptors. And I don't know that they ever gender any of the yeah. that It didn't even occur to me that they didn't do that until just now. It didn't to me. So I didn't miss until it. Until you said it. Yeah. <laughs> but I was looking in, in the second book, A Prayer for the Crown Shy, which we'll talk about mm-hmm. in the next episode. At the beginning is the invocation uh, that they mm-hmm. all repeat. And yeah, they just say parents and children. There's no yeah. gender applied to the gods. Yeah, that yeah. Is the parent, one point they're gods and the child talking about the gods not having consciousness. That even though they're parents and chi- children, they're they just are like mm-hmm. universal laws. Yeah, they're allegories. They're not talk back to right. you. Yeah, but that was nice. Yeah, because it's just like a principle of life. I think you called it something like that when we were talking about it, Zach. Principles. Mm-hmm. But I like that because then it made a lot more of your decisions and. Well, now we're getting into book two territory again, but <laughs> Bring it back. a lot of our decisions are up to us, not mm-hmm. yeah. for some other god to tell us what our purpose is. Yeah, I really liked the kind of small, quiet ways that they described, like, religion and faith. I liked the find the strength to do both mm-hmm. kind of yeah. refrain that you hear a couple of times throughout the first book and talk it so there's this um when they're talking about what that means so find the strength to do both is something that is written on the side of the tea wagon i think i think so um and uh when they're talking about it in the book i believe dex says or it's a quote from a, a text or something that without constructs you will unravel few mysteries Without knowledge of the mysteries, your constructs will fail. Mm. These pursuits are what make us, but without comfort, you will lack the strength to sustain either. 
And so comfort is kind of at the core of the, um, the, the drive and beliefs of the monks that serve a lolly or that like, uh, I don't know that serve is the right word because they don't really serve the follow? God, but follow, yeah, like yeah. kind of are under those teachings. Uh, like they the go God on of small comforts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. They go on a little bit more <clears throat> right after that part. Cause Moscap asks if that's part of their insights. And then, uh, Dex says, the thing is the child gods aren't actively involved in our lives. They're not like that. They can't break the parent gods laws. They provide inspiration, not intervention. And then they go on. Like if we want change, if we want fortune, we have to create it ourselves. And, um, there's, superfluous to the grand scheme of things like people do the actual important right. work of building and feeding and teaching and um yeah, yeah i think that they even brought it up earlier i, I like this part where they um when they first beginning their journey together dex takes Moscap to a shrine mm-hmm. near the woodlands and they're like if the gods aren't intervening and communing and coming to these places what are they for and they're like they're for us the people Mm -hmm. to take a moment to reflect on the lessons that we've put on this god this child god Mm -hmm. yeah i like those constructs a lot a reminder Mm -hmm. i really loved the descriptions of like technology like the intersection of technology and nature that exists in all of this so Mm -hmm. It's like such a wild, like they're in the they're in the wilderness for most of this book, and they talk a lot about the woods and and they also talk about how nature affects the cities and things like that too, but there's also like technology. So they're they're kind of post. They don't have factories anymore. They don't do robots. They don't do mm-hmm. all of that. But they have pocket computers, and. Yeah. Uh, the description of that is um, there's a couple of little quotes that I have and it's they pulled their pocket computer from their baggy travel trousers and flicked the screen awake it was a good computer given to them on their 16th birthday and then later on it says customary coming of age gift it had a cream colored frame and a pleasingly crisp screen and Dex had only needed to repair it five times in the years that it had traveled in their clothes a reliable device built to last a lifetime, as all computers were. Oh man, must be nice. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like picturing a cross between like a Sheikah slate from Breath of the Wild <laughs> and like a Kindle, like Paperwhite, like yes. definitely e-ink oh. reader kind of screen. I love that. I was thinking of this. I want big, one. They use it in <laughs> Star Wars. I think Boba, the Book of Boba Fett as a prop. Yeah. It's this game from 1970s. It was like six inches long and shaped like a bowling alley, but there was a big screen on the end of it. It's like a digital bowling game. I don't oh know why. Oh my gosh. But yeah, it works like a Kindle Paperwhite. Yeah. Like, I think they said um, afterwards, any technology they have has no actual computing ability to it. Or something like that. Like, it's not anything close to robotic. So it feels like it works like more it's not like intelligent. a paperweight. Yeah. Yeah. It's not capable of right. any kind of 
machine yeah. learning or yeah but it does like that's it's how they exchange currency and they mm-hmm. talk about a radiant like they say something about like nighttime playlists curated by woodland streamcasters like speakers in the kitchen like, like they radio. do have electronics mm-hmm. like they talk about yeah. that kind of thing that's how they communicate with each other too like they have email basically probably they're still sad they're still satellites yeah. which is another spoiler from this the ending of the second yeah. book <laughs> yeah it's um, not anything big he just mentions I, i've seen your satellites so we knew you were okay yes yes maybe like a palm pilot yeah i would think so a palm like pilot a and a Kindle. Yeah. Social media. Yeah, had a baby. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, oh, and the, the idea I of the really printers. Oh, I know. Yeah, that was another one. So they talk about... Uh... Let's go in the, let's stay in the first book, printers. And yeah. Yeah. Second yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. in the... I, ha- I, ha- I believe I have my notes separated by book. So um, it says... <clears throat> I think they're talking about a part of the T... Oh no, they had so Dex has a little like amulet kind of. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that is the summer bear, and um, or something like that. And it says Dex could easily print replacements if these got damaged. Both towns had a fab shack. That wasn't the point. No object should be treated as disposable. Idols least of all. So mm. that like you kind of get a little a little tiny taste of the sense that like they can. They have technology and machinery that is pretty advanced, and like every oh everywhere has you could just print a replacement for something if you really need it, um, but at the same and they're time they're really conscious, yeah, yeah, because they're not like facetiming the, each other or anything. Yeah, and like the materials that they use, we learn later are bioplastics, mm-hmm. so everything's designed to break down mm-hmm. if you leave it around somewhere or like even the buildings i thought that was so cool the scene where they go to one of the old factories and it's made of metal and they're poo-pooing it because it doesn't break down you can recycle it but that takes like a actual effort to do yeah whereas um they use like casein and proteins mycelium structure yeah yeah of buildings and almost uh i don't have the quote in front of me but it's like if you don't do something it will fall apart unless you reconstruct it actively (laughs) over time and it's very intentional Uh, i just thought that was a really cool vision for our future too absolutely and like i think the technology was a little bit advanced before what did they call the event i know that we made the the parting promise with the robots but what was the leaving called the awakening, the awakening. Is when okay. the robots mm-hmm. like they yeah, became sentient. <laughs> but like we already had mm-hmm. usable solar panels because the last thing we gave the robots was solar panels, and then they left. But other than, yeah. like we didn't want to interfere or anything, and I really appreciate that she left that part out because it did not go as smoothly as I think history in this book probably remembers it. Like I can just imagine people like an uprising. Yeah, like the cutting in half of the continent mm-hmm. like right. if that happened like now on this world move. yeah yeah i'm curious like how many hundreds of years that you kind of get a sense a little bit because i think it i don't know if it's i think it's in book one um mm-hmm. Moscap talks about like their generations and how their generations work yes and but... he no it <laughs> Moscap is uh, like fifth generation mm-hmm. robot, which means 
they that it is constructed using parts from other robots but like five times over basically so and who knows how long each of those last so like a generation for a robot could be any length of time how long had that one been sitting watching the right. stalactites? Right. Like, I mean, one of them was of like years, hundred, right? One of them was like hundreds of years. Went and just watched a tree grow. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I early on, that. Dex asks Mosscap how many robots there are, and he's like, "I don't know, a thousand maybe." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Right, because they don't like, they don't all get together. They do like they do did talk about how they convene. Sometimes mm-hmm. when important things happen, or once every however many years. Oh, that part they was all so get funny. When he's like, "What do you think we're all network together?" Gross. Yeah. <laughs> I said he again. Yeah. Sorry. I know it's it kind of tough. hard. I'm... Sorry, Moscap. Yeah. Because um. We should dig I into that. that. Why do I keep? Book. Why yeah. do I keep applying he? So I all of the <laughs> all of the fictional robots that I mentally connected Moscap to are all male gendered. So I was Mine thinking too. like combination of like C3PO and Jarvis mm. and like the Iron Giant, like all of that together. And they're all guys. Mm. Yeah, that's true. They are not biologically anything and don't have any parts, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the quote was, we don't have to fall into the same category to be of equal value. And then earlier on that page, it's page um, 69 in the book. (laughs) We're machines and, (laughs) yeah, we're machines and machines are objects. Objects are its. Mm. And that it's not demeaning. But to humans, we're like, but an object doesn't have, like, an identity. They just... It's like a book. Right. <laughs> so it takes a minute to wrap my head around it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, like, I don't know. I did not take notes on where this fell in the book, but mm-hmm. at another point, Mosscap also says when they're talking to Dex, they say, "You're an animal, sibling Dex. You are not separate or other. You're an animal, and animals have no purpose. Nothing has a purpose. The world simply is." So Mosscap sees it very black and white. You're like. You just kind of live. Like, you exist. You are. And that's enough. <laughs> yeah. I feel I like, like that's that. in the part it's... around the remnants. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. About the elk and the wolves. That story. Yeah. Maybe. So there's yeah. a, there's two a couple other bits from there where... I don't know. They're just really... I think they're closer to the end of the book. But they're just, like, such beautiful things that I just want to like write down and frame and keep somewhere that I can look at them during the day. Yeah. Um, they say, Moscap says, it is enough to exist in the world and marvel at it. You don't need to justify that or earn it. You are allowed to just live. Mm. So good. Yeah. I like that too. Like you don't have to achieve anything. Yeah. And I think at the this is a spoiler for the end of the second book. They get back around to it, and they're saying that basically you can create ambitions for yourself, but you don't have to meet them. And if you don't, then don't beat yourself up over it. Yeah. And just be and enjoy. Yeah, I liked that. There have been a couple of times since reading this book where I'm experiencing life, and I'm thinking a lot of thoughts and making a lot of plans or 
you know, like worrying about something or whatever. And I just like take a break and I take a pause and I think to myself, like, you can just be, like, you don't have to do all the things and like accomplish stuff or like try to meet anyone else's expectations. Yeah. There was this other quote that was related that I really loved. It was early on Mm -hmm. um, where sibling Dex is getting better and better at uh, counseling, I'll say. Mm -hmm. And the quote is, she's always had the ability to relax her shoulders. She just needed permission to do so. Praise Mm -hmm. Alale. I'm like, oh, yeah. All you have to do is, like, recognize that it's there. And (laughs) it's like meditation, I guess. (laughs) It's nice. Sometimes we just need that other person to say it's okay to to do it to relax Mm -hmm. and after reading this book the week after i kept thinking about alloway in general Mm -hmm. like having gratitude for small things that we might overlook or like a comfy bed or i love in the tea cart how much dex kind of preserved the bed area and then had this sweet like moon roof thing (laughs) (laughs) they could look at the stars but it's just little things like that or, I don't know, a comfy blanket or, like, five minutes that you carve out yeah. of your day to focus on your breath or, I don't know, whatever it is that's like small. Special, a nice drink that you had. special shampoo or, like, yeah. hot shower. Like, I don't know, all of those little moments. Yeah. They add up. Definitely. The other thing I really liked um, that I think we're starting to tap into, but there are a lot of descriptions of um, like paradoxes and ecology working together and like an ecosystem that it was really nice to get a macro view on things that doesn't make it seem so personal. Like you were talking about um, the elk and the wolf, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, Wind's Paradox. Wind's Paradox? Okay. And there's another description that I liked really early on when they're starting to walk over the forest. Uh, It's kind of long, but it's talking about how the forest floor is a living thing, and their vast civilizations lay within the mosaic of dirt. Mm. Their labyrinths, rodential panic rooms, life-giving airways sculpted by the traffic of worms. Hopeful spiders, hunting cabins, crash pads for nomadic beetles, trees shyly locking toes with one another. It was here that you'd find the resourcefulness of rot, the wholeness of fungi. Disturbing these lives through digging was a violence, though sometimes a needed one, as demonstrated by the birds and white skunks who brashly kicked the hummus away in a necessary pursuit of a full belly. Wow. Um, I can keep going, but... <laughs> wow. I just, in this tiny little square foot, <laughs> you have all of this life. Um, That's like a really great metaphor for this author's writing, too. Like, in it was a book that forced you to, forced you to read and absorb slowly because there is so much in one description. Like, the just the short quote that you just gave was like so much content and description and like the trees locking toes like I'm, I missed that on my first read apparently because I don't remember it but it's so pretty and weird yeah yeah 
Yeah. Because in that version, it's like, we are personifying trees and all of these different animals. But then we can talk about the winds paradox and zoom out and think about, like, well, if you kill off these wolves, then was it the whole thing breaks down? Yeah. So they go back and forth from talking about... I guess it's the scale of it that I keep flipping over in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really enjoyable to me, too. But, yeah, was there... Um, I think you said, Miranda, that you had, like, notes on character and world building. Yeah. Do you feel like we I just, talked about that? I, th- I feel like we did. We kind of... I just had my notes kind of split up by, like by that we've done a lot of we've talked a lot about world building which i love like the the description that you just gave which was of the nature and the wildness and like that little moment and then the one that struck me too was actually really early in the book about the city and they say um the city was beautiful it really was a towering architectural celebration of curves and polish and colored light laced with connective threads of elevated rail lines and smooth footpaths, flocked with leaves that spilled lushly from every balcony and center divider, each inhaled breath perfumed with cooking spice, fresh nectar, laundry drying in the pristine air. It's all one sentence. (laughs) And there's so much information. Yeah. I just love the sensory of it. Yeah. Yeah, like you're saying, stop and slow down. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're just forced to kind of experience it it's like you can't it's not a skimmable book no. by any means they're very they're both yeah. very short books compared to the ones that i usually read that was kind of an ugly humble humble brag but like comparatively to other books that i read they're shorter but they did not feel any shorter because of how slowly i needed to read them yeah and i really liked that you take your time yeah I mean, I think we can start a religion from this book. <laughs> or Becky already did. That's what it feels like. This is our Bible study. <laughs> um, we had a death in the family while we were reading this. And uh, um, <clears throat> I think there was a lot of comfort in it. I found this quote I was looking for. It says, uh, I don't remember who says it because I'm finding the quote on Goodreads because I couldn't find it in the book. But says, yeah. So I think it's Moscap talking to Dex. Because it's around the part where they're like, you know you're an animal too, right? Like you were talking about earlier. But it mm-hmm. says, uh, do you not find consciousness alone to be the most exhilarating thing? Here we are in this incomprehensibly large universe on this one tiny moon around this in- incidental planet. It is a sci-fi book, so they're not on Earth. They're on a... Uh. Yeah. <laughs> and in all this time, the entire scenario has existed. Every component has been recycled over and over and over again into infinitely incredible configurations. And sometimes those configurations are special enough to be able to see the world around them. You and I, we're just atoms that are arranged themselves the right way. And we can understand that about ourselves. Is that not amazing? So like that plus the lessons from his dark materials plus like 20 yeah. other TV shows and books, yeah. you know, or just where the universe looking at itself and we will return to that place. Yeah. But right now we're part of this system. And I think I'll probably read this book at least once a year, add it into the oh, yearly yeah. rotation. Yeah. I feel like when I got to the end, it felt like kind of almost like a short story where I didn't really need resolution or I didn't really like it. 
felt complete, even though it wasn't really, like, an ending. Like, they were just kind of on the path, and they were going towards the city, I think, at the end. I'm pretty sure that's where they ended up at the end of this one. But, um, like, if I had read this without there being, knowing that there was a sequel, I would have felt like maybe it could have just been, it could have, it could Mm. just be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm really glad that there was a sequel because um, I feel like book two really expanded and contextualized a lot of what we read about in book one. Mm-hmm. You get the other half. Yeah. See how the humans live. Right. Well, cool. Well, we'll her uh Panga in book two. Um. So thanks for joining us, and in our next episode, we'll cover the second book, A Prayer for the Crown Shy. And in the meantime, find us on Instagram at Paperback Brigade or email us at hello at thepaperbackbrigade.com and let us know your thoughts about the book, and we might share them on future episodes. Our cover art is brought to you by the incredible Miranda. Yeah. And our theme song is Chillin' in a Sweater by Cat Beats. Find them on Spotify and Bandcamp. Until next time, be kind to yourself. Bye. Bye. Bye.